We're continuing this morning our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, we're into the third chapter. Uh, we passed that halfway mark. Into the third chapter. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I find myself in a New Testament passage and then they start talking about circumcision, I suddenly find myself struggling to stay in the text. Like, I don't know if anyone else is like that. Like, if ever there was a church argument that seems to be a bygone of a previous era, that's the one, <laughs> you know? Like, do people need to go all through all of the steps to become Jewish before they can become Christians? No, <laughs> right? We figure that one out. <laughs> I think Christians in 2023, we've got this one sorted, right? And I, I kind of feel weird talking about those topics in our modern age. I mean, it seems like a bit of a personal matter, right? <laughs> well, I know that the word features pretty heavily in our text today, but I'm hoping that our eyes don't glaze over. I'm, I'm hoping that if you're struggling, you will, I'll be able to maybe help you remain in this text. Because and like this is true, because this is actually one of my favorite passages in the entire book. I know for some people, it's something out of chapter four, right? Beginning of chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, right? Like, like people love that. Or, or maybe it's, I can do all things through Christ. So I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Like we love that. Or, or maybe it's that Christ hymn, right? We spend some time with the, like that's such a beautiful passage of scripture, something to cling to. Um, there's a lot of really good things, a lot of really good sections in this book but if it's, if it's not at the very top, today's passage, it's like, it's super close for me. See, in this passage, Paul does something super pastoral. Like, he's very pastoral. What he does is he actually shares out of his own experience, out of his own story. He invites the church in Philippi into his personal story. He wants to show them how to follow Jesus, and he does that by inviting them in, right? He uses his own story to speak into a challenge that was confronting Christians in his time and place. And, and this huge topic in the New Testament, in the early church, they, they really struggled with this, right? The first followers of Jesus were Jewish people, and they didn't see Christianity as a brand new religion, Right? It wasn't like, ah, oh, there's something new and different. They saw this as the continuation. Right? This is the completion. Like our Messiah has come. This is what was prophesied. They didn't think we're something else now. They were like, we're Jewish. That's what they thought. And they started to, you know, that, that was beautiful, right? Here's the story. It's continued. But, but it started to create a bit of a mess, right? Because people who hadn't been born as Jews began to convert as followers of Jesus, because it blew the doors wide open to everyone, right? Like, like the prophecy all the way back in Abraham that every nation would be blessed. It was coming to fruition. And they got into this debate. Well, how do those other people get welcomed in? Right? No, no, no. Then they thought, well, you know, they just, they have to follow the same path that we did. They're going to become Jewish. And then, then they can go on to follow Jesus. But others had caught a bit of a different vision, right? They thought, no, Jesus made a new way for us to be welcomed into the family of God. And the old practices, while, while they were important in their time, they don't serve as the standard anymore, right? And the church, the church landed on this topic formally, right? Pretty quickly, right? You know, we read about the, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, 
has been stirring up his trouble. And then Peter essentially gets up and he speaks and he says, I know that the law, meaning the Old Testament, he's like, I know that the law is on all of your side about this, but I have been with these people. I've shared meals with the Gentiles and God has decided that they are already welcome because he's with them. The spirit is among them. So who am I to say that they aren't? And that was it. It was decided, right? Like the church, okay, this is it. But of course, people continued to fight. And they, and they, just, they just couldn't seem to let it go, right? And as a result, division continued to happen all over. And here in Philippians 3, right in the beginning of the passage, Paul says, he says, I don't mind writing on this topic again. So he's written on this extensively already. He's coming back to me. He says, just to, you know, just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me say it again. Let me, let me make this clear again, because this is so important, right? just to make sure we're on the same page. Now, you might be thinking, okay, it was important to them, right? Back then, at that time, this was really important. It was a big topic in the church, but why is this important to us today, (laughs) right? Clearly, this, almost 2,000 years later, the church has figured it out. We don't make people jump first through all of those hoops of Old Testament law before they can become Christians. We know that you can on-ramp straight into the life of Christ, straight into following Jesus. But, but here's why I think this still matters immensely. I, I think that, here's why I think that this is extremely important for the church in 2023. Because what all of these people were fighting about was not just some medical procedure that men should or should not have done. Really, what they were fighting about was our credentials. Right? Really, what they were all fighting about was the answer to that one question that the rich, wrong, you, the rich young ruler asked Jesus, or, or that the jailers asked Paul and Silas after the earthquake opened all the prison cell doors, or that many people were coming to the folks in faith communities at that time asking, really, this is about the answer to one vitally important question. What must I do to be saved? This debate that Paul is speaking into again, as he does so many times in the New Testament, is a debate about how I can make sure that I'm worthy, right? Because before, before they had a whole book full of laws that they could hold up and test themselves against, right? And they could, they could, they could hold that up and they could say, if I have done these right things, then I can have certainty. Before, I felt very much in control, right? Because that was it. Here's the book. I do these things. I'm good. Like the onus is on me. I get to hold the reins. I can steer my life. I am in control. And goodness knows we love control, don't we? And this is where Paul does the amazing pastoral thing right? This is where he invites people into his story. Starting in verse four, he says, if someone else thinks that they have confidence in the flesh, I have more, (laughs) right? This is where he starts. He says, and then he lists all of his credentials. It's a good list. Like, let me tell you, right? (laughs) Like, Like by the standards that the world was clinging to, he had every reason in the world to be confident, born in the right family, born in the right time, in the right place. He did all of the right things. He followed the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous, so zealous that he was persecuting the Christians. 
to get them on board about the right thing, right? Like he, if anybody had the list, hold it up and compare themselves to it. If anyone had a reason to want to cling to that list, it was him because it proved him worthy. That was the thing, right? At the end of, at the end of this list, this is his bold claim. End of verse six, he says, as for righteousness based upon the law, faultless. That's what he says. He's like, if anybody has a reason to want this law to stay in place, it's me, right? That's his standing. He's got it all. And then he says, and I just love this. This is like so powerful. Verse seven, I'm going to read it from the message. This is what he says right after. As for righteousness, according, based on the law, faultless. That's what he says. Then Then he goes, the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing in the trash. The very credentials that other people are waving around as something special, I'm ripping them up and throwing them in the trash. I mean, what happened, right? He had it all put together. It was all lined up, right? Why now? Why has this changed? Why is he throwing that all in the garbage? That thing that gave him that confidence, that certainty. Well, maybe you know the story. One day he was traveling on his way to Damascus as a part of his work, trying to eradicate the people who were following the way of Jesus, going there to persecute more Christians. So that Why was he doing it? So that he could maintain the same standard of law that validated all of his credentials, right? That's what he wanted. That kept him in control. And then a bright light in the heavens. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and calls him as his own. And it turned his entire life upside down. In that moment of call, he was struck blind. He was given some instructions. And in his blindness, he, he followed, you know, he followed along. He had to go in these like three days. He fasts, he prays, and then he, he encounters and he gets healed. And immediately he gets baptized. Everything is changed. His whole life's mission, boom, rewritten. The things that mattered before, they don't matter anymore. Paul met Jesus and everything that mattered before got flipped on its head. The old credentials that people are waving around as something special, he's tearing them up and throwing them in the trash. And why? Verses eight and nine, he says that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And again, here's how Peterson puts it in the message. He says, I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. We could say God's credentials, right? Why would I fight for my own when I can have his, right? And church, this is where I think that question needs to come back to me and you, right? Because like Jesus came and called out to Paul, he comes 
and he stands at the door of each of our hearts and knocks, right? And if we hear that call, and if we invite him in, he doesn't want to just stand in the foyer with his shoes on and have a chat, right? He wants to come all the way in to every corner of that space. He wants to sit and share a meal with us. But letting him in means taking his story as our story. It means the credentials that got us this far in life aren't it anymore. And I just want to take a moment and ask you, what are those credentials that you're clinging to? And, and this is where my mind comes to the writings of Henry Nouwen, where he identified five common lies of identity that people seem to cling to. Five common lies that, that, we, that we tell ourselves, the credentials that we hold on to, that the stories that we put ourselves in to make sure that we feel valuable, right? We feel worthy. And I, I think, we're going to talk about them, I think that if you see them, you will probably, almost, I, I would be surprised if not everyone in this room found something on this list that they said, yeah, yeah, I get that. I feel that. I'm clinging to that. So these are the five lies of identity and a wonderful picture of now. You just look like a, like a happy, approachable man. One of my professors at seminary was a, a scholar of now and and he got to go and, and meet and talk with Nowen one time. And he said, when, we, when I sat and I talked with him, it was like I was the only person in the room. He just like was so focused, so present with you. I always think about that. I'm like, that's what I want to be like as a pastor. <laughs> um, but these are the lies. We're going to just go through them quick, and then we'll extrapolate on them a little bit. And I, and I invite you to, to think of your own story, to think, well, what, maybe what are the lies that I'm believing? So the first one, I am what I have. Right? This can be about amassing wealth. This can be about, like, I've got the nice car. I've got the, like, that's what makes me valid. There are people, I'm sure you know people, who, like, unless I have the newest, best thing, right? But it's not just that. This can be, I am worthy because I have an amazing spouse. Because I have a wonderful family. Because my children have gone on to follow after Jesus, right? I'm worthy. I'm worthy as a Christian because I raised up Christian kids, right? Or it can cut the other way. That's the problem with these lies of identity. That's the problem with that law. Paul, good for him. He could hold it up and say, yep, I'm worthy. I think most people hold up the law and we go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough, right? And so I I am what I have cuts the other way when we say, well, maybe Maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe I'm not worthy because I I tried to raise up my kids in the church and they've left it. Maybe that means I'm not worthy. Or maybe I'm not worthy because I, you know, I, 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 it could be the stuff that you have. Or maybe, maybe I'm not worthy because I, I don't have enough friends who care about me, who maybe I'm not worthy because I don't have a, a, an accountability partner who actually invests in me. Maybe I'm not worthy because that person over there thinks this negative thing about me. Like it can work in both ways, right? It can be, I'm worthy because, and it can cut the other way. I'm not worthy because. Here's the second one. I am what I do. And this one, I'll be honest with you. This is the one I struggle with the most. This is the lie that I tend to believe unless I am really working to be present with God each day. This is the lie I slip into so easily. My worth, my value is determined based upon 
my productivity. I have to prove that I'm worthy by doing stuff. And if ever I was to gain the title of useless in some way, shape, or form, that would, be the, that would wreck me. <laughs> On those days when I'm not feeling that, when I'm, when, I'm not, when I'm clinging to this credential rather than to the credentials of God, that's the risk that I run. Anyone resonate? I am what I do. My value is in being able to provide something to someone else. But as soon as I have a need, as soon as I'm the one who has to ask for help, we're in trouble. My value in the pit, right? I am what other people think of me, or I am what other people say of me. This one's pretty obvious. All the people pleases in the room go, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep, nope, definitely not clinging to that one, <laughs> right? I can struggle with this too. Reputation, right? It, it matters. It's important. This is what makes me worthy, that, that the people of this church validate me, that the people who know me, that my family validates me. They tell me I'm worthy, and then I can know for certain that I'm worthy. Or, on the flip side, They brought an insult to me. That person said something that wasn't kind to me. They thought something negative about me. I think that they're judging me and my worth, my value, my worthiness down in the pits, right? That's the double-edged sword of it. These last two, they go together. I'm no more than my worst moment, right? This is the belief. Some people live their lives with this belief. They've got one big mistake, right? One big mistake that they made and they live with it. They carry it with them everywhere, right? They bring it every single place they go and they say, I will never be more worthy than this moment. This is the blot on my record forever. It's a lie, right? That's one of the lies. All of these are lies of identity that we carry. But this is a common one people live with. And then there's the other side of it. I'm no less than my greatest moment. This is an era of pride, right? The people that say, this was my moment. This is when I was great. And I, that's me. That's me. Any other thing that might be ascribed to me. No, no, no. This was me. This moment, right? Like, this is me every time I get in an argument with my wife. And she's like, you don't do enough of this. And I'm like, but last week, right? Last week I did though. Last week I vacuumed, <laughs> you know? And so then like, like I'm no less than that. That's my best moment. I'm no less than, <laughs> she's like nodding very, <laughs> um, but that's the, that's the lie we believe. That's my, va- like I can prove it. See, look, look, I'm, people live in that. That's a lie of identity. That's my credentials. No, it's not. We live these friends. I think I expect that there's something here that is probably cutting a little bit. I know when I first read these now and I was like, it's hard, right? But whether these credentials have been working for you or working against you, we have an invitation to recognize a new truth, right? And the new truth is that I am not made worthy based upon what I have or what I do or the ways that others react to me. I'm not defined by my greatest or worst moments. What I am is God's beloved child. Friends, that is your credential. You are God's beloved child. All of your beauty and all of your brokenness, it sits under his blessing, right? Our invitation is to live that story as our story. Paul's really explicit about this. He says, I want to know Christ 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That's the whole story, right? Every part of it, he doesn't cut out the sufferings. He's like, no, every piece of it. He doesn't cut out the death part. Every piece of it, that story becomes my story and it's my credentials. That's the thing that helps me know that I'm worthy the story of Jesus, right? He wants to, Paul wants to participate in Jesus' story as his own story. And in that story, that's where he finds his credentials now. That's where he finds the truth of his belovedness, right? And I love where Paul lands this. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all of this, right? Or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We are still on the journey, friends. And as you've thought today about the places where perhaps you've been holding on to your own credentials, it might be that today you pray. And you, you, maybe you surrender that to God and there's this amazing work of grace that happens and you never have to worry about what other people think again. Perhaps that could happen. What a miracle that would be, right? You'd have this amazing road to Damascus moment. <laughs> but it seems that more often than not, Jesus brings us along for the whole ride. Step by step by step. He brings us one step further, one step further into his death. One step further into surrender. And as a result, one step closer to resurrection, right? To that new life. So we're going to do something really very, very special this morning. We are going to celebrate communion together. And as we prepare our hearts to take part of this sacred ritual of the church, I want to invite you to ponder what it might mean for you to press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Because often, grabbing hold of something means letting go of something else, right? I've just gotta, I'm just going to give you a moment as we sit and pray and prepare our hearts to consider the credentials that you, you may have been relying on as you came into our church this week and to consider what it might look like for you to set those inside, aside and instead take hold of Christ. Perhaps it means you have a confession to bring to God in prayer in this moment. Perhaps there's a conviction in your heart about something that you need to surrender. I don't know what it might be for you, but I'm going to give us all a moment to stop and consider. And then I'm going to pray and then I'll lead us, we'll hand these out. I'll lead us through a liturgy for communion this morning, okay? So I'm going to give you a moment. You can sit silently together and, and then I'll pray and I'll lead us through.
Jesus, we come and confess. Confess that often we look to hold on to anything we can to stay in control, to try to find confidence or assurance. And Lord, we confess that Confess the truth that the only way we will have confidence or assurance is by the power of your spirit. So God, come please today. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of unrighteousness. Prepare our hearts anew to receive your blessing. Prepare us to live under your credentials, to live in your story. Speak to our hearts. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.